uh, GPT, where it's kind of a ghostwriting tool and uh, it only knows what it knows about, you know, and so, you know, part of what you do with a ghostwriting tool like chat GBT is you, you train it on other content to let it say, here's a bunch of facts that, uh, you know, you can synthesize and let us know, you know, what we need to know in relationship to a question we have. Um, that same principle applies to human writers. They need to have a, a basis for creating something that is going to convey useful information to customers. This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Let's go business storytellers. How's everyone doing? Hey, let's talk about how can we drive organizational change? And maybe even if we can't drive it, but how do we influence it? And this is an interesting topic to me because sometimes when I think of content strategists, content creators, content professionals of any kind, more as the how do we support the business, right? How do we create content? Don't get me started on the drive-through content um, order drive-through, right? People just come by and say, make this look pretty. Not a big fan of that. Certainly we need a strategy, but how much further can we take that? How can we actually influence organizational change? And what does that mean? Michael Andrews, he's the content strategy evangelist, and I ran across him talking about that topic. So I, I invited him on the show to, to kind of give us his tips and tricks uh, to look at. How do we do that um, as content professionals? Before we get to him, I do want to remind you really, really quickly that my new book, Is Marketing a Good Career, is now available on Amazon. You can also just scan that code on the screen and get it from there. If you're listening to the podcast version, Spotify, my friends, has a video version now available. So that's pretty cool in my opinion. All right, let's get to the topic here. How do we um, influence organizational change? Michael Andrews, welcome to the show. Boom. We do, we do fist bump on the show. Really appreciate you making the time. And so kind of g- give us a little bit high level, quick overview of why is this topic of interest to you? And, you know, maybe then let's dive into how can content professionals even drive change? Yeah. So thanks for having me on your show. And I've been working as a content strategist for the past dozen or so years, have worked uh, as a consultant uh, with organizations of all sorts. And now I work for a vendor uh, that makes a uh, content management system that's there to support really large organizations. And one of the things that comes up over and over again is how can we as content professionals have an impact in our organization? Sometimes it feels like we're on the receiving end of requests and basically being told what it is we're supposed to be doing rather than having our own views, our own recommendations be taken seriously and 
actually driving change. So this is a topic that comes up quite a lot. Uh, I hear it in conversations I have. And this past autumn, I was at a couple of major content strategy related conferences. And it was really nice to see people in person after, you know, most of our interactions have been, you know, virtual and now we're all in person and everyone's kind of talking about this issue of how can I get a seat at the table is, is the way a lot of people would describe it. So um, really wanting to get different ideas about how you can, if you work in a large organization, be able to um, be heard, be uh, have your views considered, have your, your recommendations acted on, and, you know, connect what you're doing to the broader issues of the organization. You know, what's interesting to me about that topic too, is as I actually, not to throw my book here every time I come on screen, but one thing I talk about in my book is it is about finding the right fit, right? So if I find a company that actually values my opinion as a content strategist, fantastic, right? It, that should be way easier. And then hmm. you have companies that just, as you mentioned, the drive-through model, you know, make this look pretty. Here's what we want you to write. You know what? We are in a world today. If you just go to a person and say, here's what we want you to write. Exactly. No, you know, you don't need a person for that anymore. Go, you know, have some AI tool write it for you. I mean, content strategy is way more than just kind of write, spitting it out without um, any kind of discussion, collaboration, whatever. So it is possible, right, to find the right company where they value you from the start. And that's literally their culture. But what about the companies where they don't? Is there mm. a way to proceed or is, is the only answer, here's my two weeks notice, I'm going somewhere else? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it's a very mixed uh, situation. I mean, there are companies that really value these skills across the entire company. But then you have to understand large organizations um, often aren't just one, have one sort of consistent way that they behave. And so you may find parts of the organization are very receptive to your views and other parts aren't so much. And a lot of it gets down to the priorities of the organization. So, you know, if they're obsessing about, uh, you know, delivering some new project or meeting some business goal or something like that, um, the people driving that may feel that they know what content they need. And, and that's where they just basically start telling people what it is they should be doing and giving them a deadline. But if you as a content professional are able to understand these broader business goals that are being, you know, trying to be uh, delivered on, and you can connect what it is that you can do to support that business goal beyond just producing a particular output that's asked for, um, you will get more influence and, and your ideas uh, and suggestions are going to be more appreciated. So one of the dilemmas that people who work in content are facing is that they have a, you know, a unique skill set that's very, very valuable. Um, you know, I don't think that robots can write as well as people can. They can't put the thought into it, even when you get a robot 
to be involved in the writing process, there's still a lot of editorial thought that goes into like, what do we, what do we even ask for here? Um, you know, what kinds of information do we need? Uh, and you're still going to have to do some, some cleanup of that. So the issue really isn't just about writing. It's about thinking about how people are going to be experiencing the content, what sorts of things you need there. Um, and then you can ladder up from that and think about that experience of the content. How does that relate to something in the business? Uh, you know, is it a, a moment of truth for the customer? You know, are they going to make a decision that's shaped by the experience of this content? You know, they, they find this content is, is clear to them, that they find it, it, it resonates with their priorities, uh, that it's persuaded them in some way. And they make a decision, uh, you know, it, it could be around uh, you know, whatever it is, if it's going to be deepening the relationship as a customer or becoming a customer or um, getting something resolved that keeps them a customer. All those are moments of truth that can be really shaped by content. So uh, whatever the business goal that is is driving the need for content, the more the content can uh, be able to show its value as it supports that business goal, the more influence the content professional is going to have. Uh, and I think sometimes people are wondering, do I need to learn more about uh, different things other than just uh, creating content? You know, do I need to have skills and project management, for example, or skills in, in, in marketing or user experience design, those sorts of things, so that I can better connect what it is that I do to what other people are working on and what their priorities are. Maybe even um, content design. We did have a couple episodes talking about that. How do we kind of grow into that? That's been a very interesting topic to me, especially I'm not a fan of Lorem Ipsum at all. Uh, if right, you don't yeah. know what content should go into that box, you know, why are you creating a box? Same with the PM. And the PM is kind of an interesting um, topic because I do think bigger companies should have project managers on the content team, on the marketing team, and certainly smaller companies. You know, it's it's not as easy always. Like that might not be the first role they're going to fill. But on the flip side, content creator might also not be the first role they're going to fill, even though they need it. Now, you know, when we talked about when we talk about organizational change, though, that is a huge, huge topic, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, what are we trying? Like, how do we, first of all, how do we know an organization needs to change? And I mean, that's a big question maybe we can tackle for a few minutes. But but I also am wondering, I mean, certainly, in my opinion, content can change, can influence, you know, how we see ourselves, how the company is seen. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how we see each other. I mean, I'm seeing yeah. the thing. I like to do a Friday, you know, like send out a thing on a, on Friday and say, here's all the stuff that went great, et cetera, et cetera. And that's certainly a storytelling tactic to make everybody feel good. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to influence change, whatever that change might be. But what kind of change are we talking about? I mean, can content creators, can content professionals, I mean, what can they actually influence? What kind of change, if that makes sense? all kinds of change really. I mean, content is everywhere. And so think about the kinds of transformations that businesses are trying to make. Sometimes it's kind of around the technology. 
Uh, they're trying to connect together different systems that they use and make sure that uh, they're sharing information between these systems that everyone has access to what it is they need. Uh, and then so people who are involved with content need to think about this broader audience uh, for what it is they create. So if you are creating content about a product or a service, which many of us are, there are so many different audiences for that. And some of them are, of course, external audiences, your, your customers, but also there are these internal audiences, people in your organization who need a knowledge base to understand uh, what's happening, how things are, are discussed, what promises are being made, uh, what procedures uh, apply, things like that. So that's one role for content um, is around the, you know, just helping organizations to be much more effective in their delivery. I mean, when we seen throughout the pandemic the importance of supply chains um, and, and really thinking about the content we create as enabling organizations to uh, support their customers. Uh, that's, that's hugely important. If the, if the content isn't there, uh, it's missing, and people don't have access to answers to questions that they have within the organization, that's a, a big problem. Another example of how content can really support change is around culture. And again, I think the pandemic highlighted the fact that uh, culture is so important. Uh, you kind of take it for granted when you maybe were in an office every day and just saw people and you know could chat with them around the water cooler. But as we have more distributed work, which is, seems to be a trend, that uh, is, is an enduring one, um, people really need to understand what are the values of the organization. And if you want to have your employees be advocates for you, uh, they need to understand your, 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 your values and what, what you stand for. And there's all kinds of opportunity for content to help employees really understand what the brand is about. I think content is super important for that. And I don't know how else anybody would do it. You know, even the spoken word is content. You know, I'm having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody at a conference. That's content, right? I'm just, it's just not a blog post or something like that. So really, if we're going to push this envelope on what's content and what's not, I mean, everything is content, but some content is better than others. So the one thing I was just thinking about as you were talking is, I mean, I've been in situations where people come by and this, I don't know why this keeps happening has happened for decades, quite frankly. And people would say, I need a one pager on whatever topic, you know, hmm. and I've been in, in organizations where the answer would be, oh, let me create a one, a one pager for you. Like no other questions. We don't even know what it's for. Why do you need a one pager? Are you printing this? Like what, mm -hmm. why do we need one pagers if it's not printed anyways? It makes no sense to me. But even if it's printed, doesn't make any sense to me. And, but some organizations, the conversation would be different, right? They might say, I need a one pager. And then the content professional might say, oh, for what? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to do? And, you know, that from there, the conversation can go like this. What, what does it matter? Like, I need a one pager. Please create a one pager. Or it can be more collaborative, right? So mm -hmm. how do you manage those kind of situations? I mean, can you 
yeah, how, how do you move them forward? Especially when on one side you have people who go, don't ask me questions, just do as I say. And on the other side, you might have people who want to collaborate and figure out what is actually the best piece of content. Maybe it's a one pager, maybe it's a two pager, maybe it's an email. I don't know. Yeah. That's a great question. And there's probably not one answer that will apply to everyone. But what I see is people who are content professionals and who are asked to produce on behalf of other people often have more requests than they have time available to fulfill them all. So they have to prioritize them themselves. And this is a politically delicate thing to do. Um, you know, some people have a little bit more sort of squeaky wheel quali quality to them. They can sort of kick up a fuss if they don't get exactly what they want, exactly when they want it. But um, it's important to sort of think about um, how important it is to them. And does that give you any kind of ability to have a dialogue around this? If it's really important to them, um, maybe, um, and if you indicate that you do have a lot of other things to do, maybe they'll be a little bit more willing to listen to your suggestions on how it could be easier for both of you. Um, one of the things I notice people doing, which I think is a really useful thing, is to kind of create uh, a request form of some sort when they get these and asking uh, whoever's wanting the content to kind of fill out, hey, you know, what's this for? What's the purpose? What's your goal? Uh, those kinds of things, just getting it down. And it can make the process faster um, because you have a defined process now for handling these requests. There's not a lot of back and forth of emails or, or, or something like that, or, you know, a short hallway conversation where you feel like you only got part of the information you needed. I mean, here it's all laid out. Uh, the person can think through what they want. Maybe just the deliberate act of writing it down in a, in a kind of a structured request will help them clarify what it is they want to achieve. Because we all know it's super inefficient to figure out what you want after you've already created uh, version one and you go, oh, that's not really what I wanted. I wanted something else entirely. Um, you should as much as possible, get established at the start what it is is needed. So you just have this one cycle of, of producing it and getting it back to people. The concept of marketing request forms is interesting to me. I have written about that before, and I, I, am, I have a torn opinion on it, quite frankly. Um, I think exactly what you mentioned, 100% agree, right? You kind of have to think about it. You're not just sending over, throwing something over the wall. And, and, and you answer the questions that we actually need to get answered, right? If somebody comes to me and says, hey, Christoph, I need a blog post on this topic. And I know nothing else about it. Could I maybe potentially create a blog post on that topic? Maybe, potentially, depending on what the topic is. But no. if I don't know why we're writing it, what's the point of it? Are we trying to rank higher? Are we trying to use it in email? Are we trying to, what are we trying to do with it? And I'll give you one example. When Jay Schwedelson, I think that's his last name, he runs subjectline.com was on the show. 
you know, I use that tool all the time. He talked about the importance of the subject line. And I write really, really good, if I may say so, SEO headlines for my blog posts. And those same headlines rank terribly low on subjectline.com. They're not good subject lines for emails, but they're great SEO headlines. My point is, you have to know what you're trying to do, why you're trying to do it, and you know move forward from there. Are there any dangers, though, if you have a marketing request form? Um, I mean, we still want people to talk to each other, right? right? Or go, how do we make sure uh, it, it doesn't just make it more difficult than it needs to? I think there's, you know, there's possibly, you know, a downside to it if it gets so formalized that people aren't talking to each other. Yeah, but um, I just see it more as a, a a way to 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 track and um, actually build a, a relationship with the your customers there. So you you actually then can see what's the what kinds of requests that are coming in? You know, are they quite varied, or is there a is there a cadence to these kinds of requests? Um, you know, are things similar things coming up? And then you maybe then have an opportunity to have a larger conversation. So it's not just about the one item. You're saying, hey, I noticed that you need a lot of content around a particular topic or a particular in a particular format or something like that. Let's can we talk a little bit more about that? You know, why are you emphasizing email, for example? Um, you know, what's what's the benefit of that uh, for what you're trying to achieve? But it's it's hard to get that kind of more strategic conversation if it's just around one transaction because people think like, hey, I just need this done, and you know, it, it doesn't really allow for that. But when you get the kind of repeat insights into uh, what the customer is is asking for, then I think you you can have a, a broader conversation potentially. You know, what I find interesting too is content professionals, what we're good at, right? I mean, otherwise we wouldn't be content people is to, to get content out there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I just think about that, how I've, I don't want to say influence people over the years, but how I certainly have kept people in the loop. You know, I mean, there used to be a time when I would send updates on Slack to my CEO at the time all the time. And in the meetings, nobody ever asked about my stuff, right? Because he, or he never did, because he already knew, right? I, I packaged them nicely in small Slack messages, not all the time, but, you know, every few days, like there's a, mm -hmm. here's an update, an update, an update. And it was just enough to stay top of mind. So again, if you are a content professional, make sure you figure out what is the best way to communicate, just like you would for anything, right? Whether you're creating articles or you're creating emails or you're creating a new website, uh, what's the best way of share, sharing that content? So on Marion uh, Ab Ab Abrams, Grounded Content Podcast, uh, she said, ghost writers are ghost writers and not ghost thinkers. So what's very interesting about that is, you know, what they were making, the point they were making is you can't just tell a ghostwriter to write an article for you without giving them some kind of materials you thought about. And But how important is it to have that strategic partnership between content, marketing, content, sales, content, customer success, and maybe everybody? I, well, I think it's hugely important. Um, you know, I think 
um, that's the fantasy, right? Is you have a, you know, you have this ghostwriter that's just going to give you exactly what you need without giving them the context. And, um, you know, and I think this is frankly what's happening in, you know, the, all the conversations we're having uh, now around uh, something like chat uh, GBT, where it's kind of a ghostwriting tool and uh, it only knows what it knows about, you know, as I did. and so, you know, part of what you do with a, a ghostwriting tool like chat GBT is you, you train it on other content to let it say, here's a bunch of facts that, uh, you know, you can synthesize and let us know, you know, what we need to know in relationship to a question we have. Um, that same principle applies to human writers. They need to have a, a basis for creating something that is going to convey useful information to customers. And that's the standard that we as content professionals have to live up to is not just creating something that stylistically is pleasant sounding, but it conveys useful information. And generally that useful information should be something beyond what someone can easily get with a lazy Google search. Uh, you know, it needs to be something that you don't know about, or you need to know that it is authoritative so that you're not doubting what you're reading. You have a sense that it was well-researched and you have confidence in it. I'm certainly always a fan of using the latest technology, you know, just like we use a Restream right here. We're going to have it up for just a second. If you want to live stream with Restream, please use my link and you get a little bit off from your first subscription. Um, but you know what? I don't think that any of these tools that I've seen so far, they're nice, but mm -hmm. they're not perfect. And even when I asked ChatGPT to write something, certainly it wasn't perfect. Certainly, you know, I still need a writer to actually think about all these different things and, and go from there. Michael, really appreciate you coming on the show. I learned so much. Always happy to, to hear from other content professionals out there. Uh, really briefly, how do people connect with you? Where do they find you? You can connect with me on, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm Michael Andrews, and I work at a company called Content.ai. Um, and so please connect with me there. I also have a Twitter handle called Story Needle. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.